The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Now, this is a show that champions entrepreneurs, startups, early stage, and in fact, all small businesses, and is heard right around the world. We got some new figures a couple of weeks ago. Voice America Business had 4.3 million listeners last month, 4.3 million. That's a lot. Now, this is the third show in my second year, and this year we're going to continue to interview the top movers and shakers in the business world, authors who have written all of the best business books, as well as interesting celebrities and sports people. And uh, when I was saying my thank yous for the first year, a couple of weeks ago, I forgot to mention all the people that helped me at uh, Voice America to bring this out. And uh, producer, Matt's there today. So thanks, guys. Really appreciate it. Now, last year we broadcast the show from five countries around the world. And... Uh, We'll continue to travel to all corners of the world this year and bring you shows from wherever we are. We're pleased that you could join us today. We hope we can continue to entertain and provide you with the best possible business advice. Now, it's very important that we really kickstart the economies. So if your business life's been good to you and you've enjoyed some success, I ask you to Embrace entrepreneurship. Do whatever you can to help mentor or to fund new businesses. Now, when we begin a business and we're going through those early growing stages, we all make mistakes. I've made millions of them. But what's the most important thing is realizing that you've made a mistake, recovering from it quickly and learning from it. If you do that, you're on your way. It's all part of being an entrepreneur. Being successful, as we've discussed on this program a million times before, is not easy. In fact, it's really fucking hard. So we want you to do whatever you can to mentor or help fund new businesses. Becoming successful will take all of your stamina all of your drive and your determination. And to turn your vision into reality, there are a bunch of really critical steps that you've got to take. You've got to formulate an innovative business plan that's real, that's not based on fanciful dreams. And then you've got to get an investment plan 
and go out and obtain funding. You need to hire the right people, people who share your vision, and then be prepared to step back from your role when the time is right. Very few entrepreneurs make good CEOs. Often the very first mistake with a new business is the entrepreneur's inability to be able to concisely and clearly convey convey (laughs) your idea and vision. Our guest today, Jeff Hazlett, talks about 118 seconds. You've got eight seconds to get across what you're about and get people interested, and then you've got 110 seconds to tell the rest of the story. And if you can't articulate it clearly and get the other person excited, you don't go any further. You're out of there. So very clear vision. The second mistake is a lack of focus. You know, when you're building a new business, you've got this adrenaline buzz and You know, you're really, really excited and it's easy to get distracted. It's easy to go off on tangents. So you've got to clearly define your goals and your strategies. And then don't get too far ahead of the business. Don't start designing new things until you've clearly established your first first product. You should look two or three years ahead. You should think about that but be very disciplined in the way you approach it. So you need to be really in touch with the market and you've got to be flexible. You know, the market changes constantly and as you produce something, your competitors react in a certain way which will cause you to do something different. So you have to be in touch with your market all the time. Now, another one of the areas where companies fall down is try to work out what their costs are going to be. And I've always found that a good rule of thumb is prepared. be prepared for it to be twice as hard as you thought it was going to be, take twice as long as you thought it was going to take, and it will probably be three times more expensive. It's really difficult to estimate what those costs will be, but trust me, they'll come out of the woodwork. And keeping your Expenses under control is absolutely vital. But don't confuse capitalization with costs. And many startups fail because they're undercapitalized. One of the hardest things to do in a company, you know, whether it be a startup or an early stage business, is to hire the people that you need, not the people that you like. You know, it's very tempting to start your new business with friends and relatives because you can trust them, and but that's likely to be a serious mistake, and I'm going to talk about that a bit later on. But always hire a core of smart people who already know your industry and the inherent risks, and you've got to take full advantage of all this knowledge you've got around you. You know, nobody has all the answers. Nobody's got a mortgage on good ideas, including you. So you need to run a transparent management structure. You need to really collaborate with other people and consult with mentors and make sure that you take all of the options and the feedback into account. 
And when you begin to hire people, find a manager who really shares your vision and to whom you're totally confident so that you can turn over the reins when the time is right. Too many entrepreneurs overstay their welcome and their skill set. It takes a certain type of person and a really specialized skill set to be a CEO. A great entrepreneur knows when the time has come to leave. Few entrepreneurs make great managers. As Richard Branson says, he doesn't want to be a CEO. It just isn't in his DNA. And you need to take the same approach. Another area that can have catastrophic consequences for a company is intellectual property. Startup companies and early stage companies, they often make major mistakes with their IP. So there's a few points that you have to remember. Firstly, don't presume that because you originated the idea, that means you own it. You know, if the idea originated while you had a full-time job with an employer, they could potentially assert rights to that intellectual property. You could have done something as simple as using the, the company's photocopy or using the employee's computer to access a, an email account. So under no circumstances, use your employer resources when you're working on your new idea. And if, if your technology is not undertaken by a single entity, for example, if you've relied on other people to do it, contractors or your outsource providers for some of the development, this may result in disputes over the ownership of the IP. So make sure that a written agreement clearly articulates ownership before you hire somebody to help you. And if you've already begun without an agreement, stop immediately until you've got a written agreement in place. And don't agree to joint ownership of intellectual property without an agreement because this, this can potentially compromise the value of the intellectual property and possibly compromise the company itself. And, you know, when one or more entities may jointly own intellectual property rights, you need to have an agreement in place regarding ownership and responsibilities of the joint owners and rules outlining the disposal of those rights by any of the parties because there's another place where you can run into some dreadful disputes. Another mistake that I see all the time is companies publicly disclosing their intellectual property before they've begun to execute their strategy. You know, they often stick it up on their website. And I'm always telling people, if you haven't started with your product yet, if it's still in the early development stages, for God's sake, don't stick it up on your website. You're inviting people to knock it off. And, you know, a lot of the big companies around this planet spend their life and have a team of people who scour the world looking for ideas that they can pinch so you can, just by making a public announcement, you can result in a loss of your trade secret rights, a loss of patent rights, and, you know, it potentially could compromise your patent rights, not only throughout the world, but also in the US. And you shouldn't rely on just one type of intellectual property for protection. 
The most common intellectual property protection, it's a patent, it's a trade secret, it's a copyright, it's a trademark. And protection of technology is not limited to any one of these forms of intellectual property protection. In fact, if you rely on only one form of protection, it could be totally insufficient in protecting your technology. For example, you know, software can protect... I'll start again. (laughs) For example, software can be protected not only by copyright, but also by patent, trade secret, and know-how. Please go out and get advice. Now, I know it's expensive... You know, quite often you look at these things and you go, oh, my God. But if you've invested so much of your time, your intellectual capital, um, a lot of your friends' capital into a project, make sure the one thing that you do spend money on is your IP protection. It's going to be the best investment you can make. So do not do it on the cheap. Now, there's a lot of issues that sink early stage companies, obviously, um, apart from those I've already discussed. The reality is that most startups are sunk by people problems. According to Noam Wasserman from Harvard Business School, he surveyed 10,000 founders of 4,000 startups and nearly two-thirds of early-stage failures came from people problems. He found that bad personnel decisions about co-founders, equity splits, hires, and investors drove most early failures. Now, the most common source of finding co-founders is people that you've got a social relationship with or family, but you don't have professional relationships with them. But Wasserman's quantitative analysis shows that these are the least stable of all startup teams. You know, there's two problems with friends and relatives. Because you trust each other socially, you assume that you can trust them in the professional realm. And that may not be necessarily so. You're not likely to have the in-depth conversations and and the twos and fro's with a friend that you're likely to have with a business associate. Often you're hesitant to raise doubts because you know it may mess up. That's your social relationship. So Wasserman doesn't say that you must not establish a business with your best friend. He said do it with those potential issues in mind. Another pitfall that Wasserman discovered is the decisions about how and when to split equity within the founding team. He studied 4,000 startups and 73% of founding teams, they determined their equity split right at the start within the first month of a venture. And they set it in stone without allowing for any of the dynamism that happens as you evolve your company. You know, the problem is that early on, Entrepreneurs really don't know what their business model or their strategy is going to end up like. They don't know what individual roles will be, how how much somebody's going to contribute, how much commitment each co-founder is going to have. They just share a rosy scenario because they've never, ever started being kicked to death. 
So a good idea is to vest the equity over four years or use a milestone vesting plan or a scenario-based one. The idea that equity is earned over time for those that are still around in the venture. So the longer people are around, the more they put in, the more equity they get. Now, don't forget, the Bob Pritchard Radio Show is all about you, the entrepreneur, the small business person that's listening to this show, looking for tips on how to be more successful. That is what we are here for. The whole show is dedicated to assisting you, the entrepreneur. So if you've got a topic you'd like to, like me to chat about or you've got an email with a specific question that you'd like answered or you have somebody that you think would be a fantastic guest, please don't hesitate to send me an email to bob at bobpritchard.com and we'll answer it on air or we'll email you directly and I will contact anybody that you would like to have as a guest. So I'm Bob Pritchard and after the break, I'll talk with my guest, Jeff Hazlett who is sensational. He spoke at the metal group that I belonged to a few weeks ago in LA and he absolutely wowed a really hard group. I'll be back in just a minute. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Business Radio Show. This is where we try to give you an insight into the lives of some of the world's extraordinary people. What makes them tick? You know, most of the extraordinary people that I know began life in pretty ordinary circumstances, just like most of us. But what makes them interesting, unusual and great? Well, this is the segment where we find out. A few weeks ago at Metal, I've mentioned it many times, it's the media, entertainment and technology alpha leaders group that I belong to in Los Angeles, I was fortunate to hear a dynamic and an extremely pragmatic business speaker who absolutely wowed an audience of people who were all 
incredibly successful and have heard everything and been everywhere before, and he killed them. Um, Jeffrey Hazlett is a global business expert. He's highly creative, and he's got a unique ability to cut through the bullshit. And he's worked with some of the world's biggest companies. He's a celebrated author. His first book, The Mirror Test, now that's a must-read for everybody. And I've just finished reading his second book, Running the Gauntlet. Now this is a, a book about many aspects of business, but the most powerful thing for me was the need for all of us to embrace change. Knowing what you need to do, having a clear vision of, of what you want to achieve, and then having the intestinal fortitude and the perseverance to see it through. Now, Jeff believes that fear, apathy, and a lack of personal responsibility turns a good company into a dead company. Now, I think this was evidenced when, as Chief Marketing Officer and Vice President of the Eastman Kodak Company, he tried to convince the company to change. They didn't, or wouldn't, or couldn't, and they failed. This guy is a business superstar, and I'm very pleased to welcome Jeffrey to the program. Hi, Jeff. Welcome to the Bob. Hey, it's good, and, and well, thank you so much. And, and cutting through the bullshit—that's good because you know I'm a cowboy, and I've got a lot of cattle in my place with a lot of that stuff. So I'm used to stepping in it. So I try to stay out of it. <laughs> yeah, I think when you're in business, you're used to treading in it, aren't you? You're, you're totally surrounded <laughs> by it most of the time. Exactly. Exactly. Now, on this program, we regularly talking talk about remembering the basics. Um, they're the pillars of not only the marketing business, but of business itself. What do you think are the three most important basics that most of us forget? Well, I think it's always about growing your sales, growing your profit, and growing your customer satisfaction. I, you know, when I was the chief marketing officer at a Fortune 100 company, those were three of my five goals that I had to keep. And I think whether you're running a, you know, billions and billions of dollars worth of revenue and billions of dollars worth of profit, and you take those zeros away, you could be doing the same thing on Main Street, you know, in your small town. It doesn't make a difference. I mean, for most of us, that's the, those are the things we should be paying attention to. And if you're taking good care of your customers, then you're growing your sales and you're growing your profits. That's, that's really at the forefront of everything. Yeah, I think, um, you know, people are always analyzing why companies fail. And the real reason companies fail is they don't generate enough revenue to pay their bills. Exactly. Yeah, well, they, they're losing money in every sale, but hope to make it up in volume. You know, that's yeah. a scary thing. Yeah. I was a marketing director for a um, a billion a billionaire who was involved in a number of different industries, and he used to make us at the end of a day, seven o'clock at night or whatever time the day ended, make a list of all the things you did today that actually made a dollar for the company. And you sit there and look at what you've done today and you'd say, shit, I've been busy. I've worked my butt off since 7 o'clock this morning, you know, and I haven't stopped. I didn't take a lunch break. What did I actually do that made a dollar for the company? Um, let me see. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's awesome. I mean, I do that with our team. We, we try to sit down on a weekly basis. What are the five promises that I've got to drive for the week, you know, and what activities lead to those promises. And if that's not on the list, then why are you doing all these other things? Yeah. And it's just really, you know, I, I call it conditions of satisfaction. 
how to drive what I call mutual conditions of satisfaction with a, with employees, with your vendors, with your customers, or even your spouse, for that yeah, matter. Sure. Uh, we always have a customer-performer relationship. And, and so what are the key conditions of satisfaction that you should be driving? And, and that's what, you know, that's where you're focused. So if you had to look at one word that's important for a lot of business owners or leaders out there, the word would be focus and, and trying to keep that focus because, you know, how many times you get just, you know, people coming in with this or that and people always bring me problems. You know, I want people to, to, to bring me some focus on the solutions, not the problems. Yeah, true. Um, you talk about, at Metal, you talked about your experience with Kodak um, regarding the introduction of digital photography and uh, that Kodak had a seemingly unshakable belief that they were actually in the film business. Yeah. Um, you're a strong advocate for the need to have the balls to sort of constantly enact change to make the hard calls. Um, why was Kodak so slow to move? Well, I mean, they really did get into the hubris of their own success, and that success was driven around, you know, that they were a film company. And somehow, from the time in which George Eastman, you know, introduced them into, you know, photography and what they were really doing, which was, you know, creating Kodak moments, and yeah. that's really what they were doing. They were capturing emotional technology. They were capturing the moment. That's the reason why Kodak moment was so important. In fact, my predecessors had let the actual trademark on Kodak moments expire before I got there. Mm. And and so they got away, you know, forgetting what they did. They had the only product that people would actually run back into a burning building to save. Yeah. And so when you really look at it, they weren't around the film business. They were around the emotional technology business. And they, and quite frankly, they transitioned to mostly a B2B company, which most people don't know. Yeah. Um, we still think of them as a, as a, you know, as a, a consumer company, but they're really a B2B company. And had they given up the consumer business, they would be in much better shape today. But, but at the core of what they did was they helped to make, manage, and move images and information. You know, what I call the M3I squared, and that's, that's make, manage, move images and information. So they were about capturing emotional technology, whether yeah. it's in the business or in the personal lives, and then utilizing that. And that's what they did. Yeah, so they just lost track of, of how technology was changing the industry. Right. And, and had they realized, hey, look, we're a company of innovation that, you know, it's so cold in Rochester, we've got nothing better to do but sit inside and invent things. And they invent, you know, had over 25,000 patents at one time one of the fifth largest companies in the world with patents. You know, that's what they were in. They were in the innovation business. But yet they, they went this hubris of their success in film of having a product that, you know, generated 80, 90% margins of profit yeah. at, you know, at a time. And they had market cap better than all of the, you know, automobile industry combined, you know, and, and 200,000 employees at one time. I mean, it was a massive company. So, but they got channeled around that rather than what they really do. And had they, you know, had they thought about, look, our business is to change every day, not to lock it in. So what happens with a lot of companies like Kodak and others that aren't successful is they focus in on being defensive. And so they start doing everything to protect that margin rather than to reinvent themselves or to change to what they do so that they can continually reinvent. You know, and there's companies... Like Apple, Apple was that way. IBM was that way. Yeah. And where they started off great, then went down a hole of trying to protect, and then said, no, 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 we're in the business of changing, and let's start changing what we do. Yeah, of course it is hard to do. Now, 
I think oh, one of the most very hard. If it was e- you know, if it was easy, everybody would do it. That's I mean, right. that's the thing. That's <laughs> right. true. It, it is hard. Yeah, but but perfection and good things are are and all good things come with a price. I mean, that's just the way it that's is. True. Yeah, that's true. Um, I think one of the most important things that you espouse is hook me in eight seconds, sell me in a hundred and ten seconds, make it really easy for the other person to say yes. Now, in eight seconds, you can probably only get across one point. So how do you determine what that one point is? And then following on with that, is the cell, the 110-second cell, simply an amplification of the eight seconds, or do you expand the message in that time? Well, you, you do expand. So what we're talking about is what I call the 118 or the new elevator pitch, you yeah. know, the modern-day version, the digital version. Eight seconds is the average attention span of an adult, you know. Yeah. I know that to be true. I looked it up on the Internet. And 110 seconds is the average elevator ride in New York City. Yeah. From the time you, st- you know, push the button, wait for it to open, step on right up, right down. So yeah. the eight seconds is what you need is that hook. If you want to use the vernacular of sales terms, you, you need a hook. Or you, you know you've done this, Bob. When, when you've said something so provocative that the person leans in and wants to hear the rest of it. Yeah. And so that's what you you need to grab the prospect's attention with uh, some statement or something that they, they that, that says, "Wow, you paid attention to me. You have something I want," and you tease them with it in, in, in such a way that they want to lean in and hear the rest of it. And then that 110 seconds, yeah, you should give them the value statement of of giving them the attention that they deserve around the way in which you can deliver value to them. And by doing that, that demonstrates a, a you know a wonderful relationship between the two of you. That's going to you know give something in return for getting something, and so that's that's what you want to do. So yeah. yeah, you should amplify that story a little bit. It's 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 damned hard to put get something in eight seconds. I I um, work with a lot of <laughs> it's uh, always hard startups and early stage businesses who are out there trying to raise money and trying to pitch investors and try to get across your message in in one sentence or whatever is difficult. How, how do you go about condensing your business down to eight seconds? Well, you, you're gonna, it, by the way, you'll never get there. You'll no, continually <laughs> change it. You continually work on it. Yeah. But, but you just really got to get to the core. Look, you know, you know so I used to have people come to me with 48-page PowerPoint presentations. At the end of the hour, I still didn't know what they did. And yeah. so that's where I got down to it. And I used to call it the Moses Rule. You know, if Moses can get it down to 10 points on two slides, you know, basically, yeah. uh, as he did with the Ten Commandments, today there will be two PowerPoint templates of five points each. You know, so you can boil it down to that. And if you, you know, if he can do it, you can do it. So what is it is at the core of what you solve? You know, I used to tell people, that, and I used to enact the Moses rule with, with my team, that if you had to come to me and sell me something, do it in two slides. If it takes more than two slides then you haven't boiled down the problem. Yeah. And so and and that's in essence what you have to do. So you really just got to get down to the essence. You know, Bob, so many businesses make a huge mistake of of telling us what you do, but I could take your name out and put somebody else's in. Yeah, sure. And and there's that's no true. differentiation. So talk to me about the differentiation. Yeah. What makes you so much more special? They say, "Well, we're just like Walmart." Well, why don't I just go to Walmart? You know. Yeah. Um, that's not a differentiation. So, so talk to me about what's different and what value you can give to me that's different than your competitor or in a way that you do it special for me. That's what I want to know. Another quote that I love, and I know from experience, that um, the mob is much better at customer relations than big business. When I read Running the Gauntlet, you say, 
casinos know their money isn't in the bets. It's in the one-on-one relationships. And I always equate, wrongly, but I always equate casinos with the mob. So that's how I, that's how I made that correlation. Um, well, it's, a lot, it's changed a lot over the years. Yeah, get out there. I'm sure there's some very big corporations running those casinos these days. Um, so we all talk about the importance of customer relations and customer service. You hear it every day. Why are we so bad at it? I, I don't know. I don't. I, there, there are some companies that aren't very good at it. I just think that that's where we should start our experience, not end our experience. Yeah. And so I think what we need to do is reverse the process a little bit and think about what's the experience that we want the customer to have, and that's what good marketers do. Yeah. You know, they look at everything from the you know the the idea of the project all the way through you know customer satisfaction. So I typically want to start at customer satisfaction and say what's the end result we want to drive, and then work it back. Yep. And if we did more of that, then you would have a greater relationship with that customer because it would get to the core of the value and what values you want to drive. True. You spent a lot of time on your ranch in South Dakota, and you, you talked about it in your, in your uh, presentation to Metal quite a bit. So that probably accounts for your great quote, just because you killed a cow, it doesn't mean you will eat steak for dinner. There's a lot of tough, unpleasant stuff to get through before you get the result you want. So are you saying that most people that I know aren't tough by nature? You know, their, their first tendency is to want to compromise or negotiate. So are you saying that um, to be successful, you need to be tough, strong and brutal? Is that what you're saying? No, not necessarily. What I'm saying is that sometimes it's going to be a messy process, and you've got to be willing to do the hard work. Yeah. And not everybody wants to do the hard work. They like the, they like the end result. They like the stake. Yeah. But, and if you remember in the book, I describe in detail what it's like to chop up that cow. Yeah, and, and to gut it out and skin it out. And, and I did it on purpose was not to be gory, but to, to describe that it's a messy, messy process. And to get that stake to the table requires a lot of messy work that a lot of people aren't willing to do. Yeah, and, it almost made and, me a and vegetarian. That's really about. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and, and so what I want business owners to do is, you know, it's, it's naive sometimes to think that, you know, this is easier doing it this way or doing it this way. Almost anything that you do that's worth, the, worth it is really tough to do. Yeah. And so you should be realistic about what's expected or what you're going to be expected to do to get it there. And to really take the time to do the planning and the thought process and make the commitment to get it done right. You talk about the rule of thirds that um, you believe applies in almost all situations. One third of people get it immediately. One third of people get it eventually. And one third just will never get it. So I've had a saying for years and years and years that you also use. It's easier to change people than it is to change people. Now, following on from that, should the one-third that will never get it just be axed, just thrown out in their ass? <laughs> well, I think so. I, I think you get rid of the one-third as fast as you possibly can. I mean, just because of the, of the nature of they just don't get it. So, you know, the one-third that do get it, that's where we should be spending our time. But we spend a lot of our time focusing on the bottom third yeah, and, right. um, you know, making sure that they're, that we bring those people along 
or that they're happy. And I and I just go, why? Why? They'll never get it. Yeah. And if if you're focusing your business or your growth or your training or your attention on the least common denominator, then that's going to drag your business down. And that's not where I choose to be. And so, yeah, no, I, you know, I, and, I, and I have this all the time. I, I just had it today with someone who's unhappy with stuff. I said, well, they're just never going to get it. Why are we, I got to be, you know, ready to understand that I'm not going to receive the revenue that I would have liked because I just can't get them there. I got to be happy with that. Yeah. And so, you know, and just, you know, get your minds around that you just can't please them all. And some people are, but we, we try to. And whenever I've done that, it's just been a pain in the rear end for me. Yeah. And, you know, we all, um, we spend too much time trying to bring the lowest common denominator up to the middle instead of trying to help the, um, um, the successful, yeah. the good guys yeah. succeed more. Yeah. Exactly um, right. And so I'm at that point in my life where I'm not going to do that anymore. <laughs> yeah. I'm with you. <laughs> yeah. Um, the past few years have been pretty tough for many businesses, and it seems the first thing that companies do, and I've never been able to quite work out why, is cut their marketing budget, and they stop taking care of their major assets, which are their people. And it, does this cause damage in the long term or just in the short term? Well, it can. I think it's more short term than long term. It can, but the key is, you know, when can you get to the point where you can turn that back on again? Or... Can you at least keep some of it on? I mean, the time, you know, and they, they used to have an old saying, Bob, and the, the marketing advertising business in good times advertise and bad times advertise more. They, yeah. You know, and I think that's, there's some real truth to that. And oh, I so, agree, but why don't they do it? Yeah. Well, because I think most people are, are hesitant to make the changes they've got to make. It's easier for you to cut your advertising budget than cut people. It's, it's easier for you to cut out the training than to cut people or yeah. which, which, which by and large, and you know, in this in most business is your biggest cost. Sure. You know, it is usually in people. Sometimes it's in equipment, but it's really in the people uh, that run that equipment, that run the services that, that do the products that you've got to be able to sell. So I think a lot of people are afraid to make the hard choices and, and uh, that's just something you've got to do as a business owner, and it's not, and it's not easy. You know, look, I've been there. I know what it's like. I know it's not easy to have to make those changes and, and uh, you know, and to let people go and do that, but you, you've got to do the right things for the business, and one of that should be in investing into your future. Yeah, is it that, that there's another side to that, of course, isn't there, that um, cutting people can be terribly bad public relations to your uh, customer base as a whole. Yeah, but it depends on what you're in. I mean, if you're in a in a B two B business, then you, if you're out ahead yeah. of it, you can explain to them. Business owners understand it; they get it. Um, you know, as long as they feel they're being taken care of, they they understand that. But we're again, we're we're usually living a story that we're we're afraid of that and afraid to talk about that. So. Sure. Now, in your presentation to Metal, um, it came through loud and clear that you believe that the only person that counts in the business equation is the customer. You should always put yourself in the customer's shoes. So who leads innovation? Does the customer lead it by you listening to what they think they're going to need in the future, or does the company lead it? It's everybody. I mean, it's, a, it's absolutely everybody. It's got to be a mindset of the company and a mood. And obviously your customer is going to tell you if you're right or will give you ideas. Well, who cares where they come from? It's just a matter of can you implement them, can you use them, can you take it? Yeah. You know, it used to be a top-down driven system where we would say based on our assets, based on our budgets, based on what we want to go, 
this is the way we do it. And now it's it's a very much a chaotic, chaos kind of uh, based system. And social media is helping to drive a lot of that, where you're you know you're hearing uh, suggestions on products from a tweet or from Facebook or from other from an email or a blog post. And now, do you have the kind of company that's going to allow that to come in from the outside as opposed to from the inside? I would much rather have a company where I don't care where the ideas come. If they're good, let's just use them. Yeah, I and, agree. And, and, and how do you change it? But, but it, again, it's about a mood set and a mindset inside the company that this is how we're going to do it. Right. So in today's company, who's more important, the inspirational, charismatic leader with strong skill sets a la a Steve Jobs or the team that he has around him? Well, you can't do one without the other sometimes. So I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, you have to have a yin and you have to have a yang in order to be able to get, get things done. I mean, I'm only as good as my people that are around me, so I want to make sure I have the best possible team around me and that each one of us knows the things that we do best. Um, you know, there are some things I'm terrible at, yeah. and there are things that I'm, quite frankly, I'm brilliant at. And so I try to focus my attention more on the brilliance things and to find great people who can fill the things that I'm not as good at, and and if you can find that that magic mix, then you've got you've got magic, and it's it's just it's just it's wonderful to watch. We all found you to be a brilliant speaker. I mean, the guys that um, go to metal, as you know, are all highly successful. They've seen and done everything, and you kill them. Um, well, so, so you've obviously got well, you have got great charisma, and people sort of hang on every word. So if you've got a team around you, um, how much influence do you think on you have on lifting their skills and abilities, not so much just their motivation, but um, teaching them and leading them, and how much difference does that make to the performance of a company? Oh, big time. I mean, you, and you have to have a system for doing that too, right? Yeah. So you have to let them fail. You have to let them succeed. You have to let them do, you know, to give them the rope to, to see it. But you also have to have it set up to allow it to do it. And, and you know, it's like sometimes I say to them, they'll come to me and say, well, what do you think? I said, well, if you have to keep asking me, what do I need you for? You know? Right. Not, not, not that I'm trying to be hard on them, but I'm trying to let them know that I've given you everything you can do here Anything you want, I'm not holding the budgets back. I'm letting you spend basically anything you want within reason. You know, just go do it. You know, and you know, if someone comes to me and says, "Well, we don't have the budget," I say, well, "What do you mean we don't have the budget? Do we do we put a restriction on you, or is that in your head?" You know, when I ask you to go do this or X, Y, Z, and you come back to me with half that, you you go, "Well, well, we think that's too expensive." Well, I didn't ask you that. I asked you to go deliver X, Y, and Z. So go get it done. Yeah. You know, so you, you just need to be able to set, again, those conditions of satisfaction and work with the team, and hopefully you pick the right team that has the right mood and mindset that wants to do the same things you want to do, you know, hopefully faster than even you want to get them done. That's good. good wish list. <laughs> yeah, and it's tough. I mean, it, I mean, it's always tough when it comes to people. It's probably the most difficult thing in business, you know, in business, they you know it'd be a lot of fun to be in business if it weren't for employees and customers. You know? <laughs> yeah, it's you know, true. You know, as a business owner, you you know what I'm what I'm saying. But but at the same time, that's also the great um, you know benefits of being in business because of the of your customers and your employees. And that's so, it, to be able to get the right team and put that together is is a difficult thing. 
to find the right mix. And, and sometimes, especially for entrepreneurial businesses, you start off as a one-man band, then you add devout followers, and then eventually you've got to move to skilled technicians and professionals. And, and it's tough for businesses to be able to make those transitions. Sure. Jeffrey, it's been great speaking with you. I really appreciate you taking time out of your um, hectic schedule. You have a phenomenal, you know, I thought I had a busy schedule, but <laughs> blimey. Um, now, if you'd like to know more about Jeff, go to his website. It's hazlet.com, hazlet.com. Don't forget, if you're in business, you need to go out and get a copy of the Mirror Test seriously. And Running the Gauntlet is a great book that's got a lot of, lot of new attitudes to old issues and things that we know, but he looks at them in a, in a different perspective. And if you get the opportunity to go along and see this guy speak, he is fantastic. And uh, I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show after this short break. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. Business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to Bob at BobPritchard.com. That's Bob at BobPritchard.com. Now, back to the show. the Bob Pritchard Great Talking Business Show, coming to you this week from my hometown of Los Angeles. Before I get onto the email segment, uh, there was an interesting article in the Huffington Post business section about a week ago that said um, the global entrepreneurship entrepreneurship, I'm trying to read this, the global entrepreneurship monitor has revealed that the average investor sees approximately 2,300 proposals a year. There's another reason why you need to keep them real short, really punchy, really concise, um, and invests in three. So they get 2,300 each and invest in three. So your odds are pretty long. And we have a lot of um, startup companies and, and entrepreneurs listening to this show. And we also have a lot of people who have money to invest. And uh, we we need to keep that pitch really tight, 
really sharp. And a good way to do that is to look at every single sentence in the document. And if any sentence in the document that you're going to present to an investor doesn't have a benefit to the investor in that sentence, get rid of it. Now, the average the average investor's got about 12 to 14 areas in which they want concise answers. And so your first document needs to be really short, really tight, but address each of those 12 to 14 issues. The second document needs to be, if you get them with the first one, they're interested in looking further. The second document needs to be an extrapolation of each of those 14 things. You don't have to go on to new tangents. The same thing's just spelled out. And uh, then if you get past that hurdle, and you should if your document's well-written, then you will get, they'll either ask you for a business plan or they'll want a face-to-face. Either way, you're in with a good shot. But those first couple of documents, it's critical that they are really pointed and all about the benefits to the investor, not about you, not about the fact that you've been in it for 20 years and you've busted your ass and you've worked a 1,000 hours a week. They don't care about that. They want to know what it is, how you're going to penetrate the market, what the potential is, how much can they make, and how the hell do they get out of it? What's the exit strategy? And a few other things along the way, but essentially you need to answer those. Now, this is a segment where I answer your emails. And because we get emails from all over the planet, I try to answer at least one email each week from outside of the US. Now, this email segment's really popular because the answers to the questions that you ask, they apply equally to small business and large businesses. Doesn't matter whether you're a plumber or a technology company. And it doesn't matter whether you're in Moscow or in Tampa. The same companies have the same issues, same problems all over the planet. Now, my first email today is from Alan Toback. I hope I pronounced that right. From San Diego in California. Alan writes, Dear Bob, you probably receive a lot of business advice and you also give a lot of business advice on your program. What's the best one piece of business advice that you've ever been given? That is a very good question, but it's really also quite an easy one to answer. Every person in a business must be able to read a balance sheet. It's the most important aspect of any business. And the reason that a hundred, the only reason that a hundred percent of businesses fail that fail is because they don't make enough money to pay their bills. Now, that could be bad advertising. It could be a whole bunch of things, but essentially they don't make enough money to pay their bills and they don't get a decent return on their capital. And you can't run a business if you don't make a profit. And it's not about, you know, solely focusing on money. And running a business isn't all about money. As an entrepreneur, you've got to be passionate about what you do. You've got to be motivated to help others. You've got to have a desire to make the world a better place. You need all of that. But none of that can happen if you don't stay in business. If you're only working to get rich, you know, one day you wake up and you're 70 years old and you've got truckloads of money, but along the way, you missed all the fun. So putting the focus on income 
and on cash flow and measuring every single thing you do against those standards, well, that'll ensure that you'll have a healthy business. You've got to remember that the goal of business is profit. It's not about being liked or having a big social media presence or having fantastic products that nobody buys or being able to walk down the street and have everybody recognize you. That's not what it's about. It's about making a profit. And a business that doesn't make a profit is simply a hobby. So a business that doesn't make a profit is a hobby. And there's nothing nothing wrong with having a hobby. But spend a couple of hours a week collecting stamps, not not spending 80 hours a week working and not making any money. Alan, we'll send you out a copy of my new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, How to Blitz Your Competition, which is available at all good bookstores all over the planet and at Amazon.com, of course. And I'm confident that you'll find it full of great information that'll be valuable to your business. What I did when I set out to write this was to work through, there's about 20 chapters, and I worked through all of the things that you need to get in place and right before as you're building a business. So it doesn't go into all the really trick stuff. It's the fundamentals of being successful. We talk about social media. We talk about how to use it. We talk about branding. We talk about logos. We talk about customer service. We talk about adding value. We talk about risk reversals. We do cover all of the things that we need to cover to make your business successful. So go out and grab yourself a copy. I think you'll, um, you'll be very pleased with it. My second email today is from Lawrence Strauss from Fulham in London. Know it well, coming in from the airport. Dear Bob, I really enjoy your show. I listen to it every week. It's been a big help to me in my business. You make it sound so simple to be successful. I've got a small hardware store, and I probably have the easiest of questions. How do I ensure that I set my prices correctly? Well, first of all, I'd like to compliment you on listening to the show because I think it's on in London at about one o'clock in the morning. So I appreciate that. Lawrence, pricing's critical. If you price your products correctly, you know, you can increase sales and you'll generate the foundation for a very successful business. Get your pricing structure wrong and you may never be able to overcome the problems. Lawrence, there's no one surefire formula-based approach that suits all types of businesses or markets, or products for that matter. You need to understand your target customer, know what your competitors are charging, and understand the relationship between quality and price. The biggest mistake that most businesses make is to believe that price solely drives sales. Other factors such as customer service and the ability of your sales team also count a lot. In fact, In a mature market, less than 20% of people buy based solely on price. So 80% of people, other things are far more important. So what's the difference between an $8,000 Rolex and a $40 Seiko? You know, the Seiko at 40 bucks is far more accurate than the $8,000 Rolex. 
the difference is positioning and the ability to sell them. So if you underprice your products, it can have a disastrous impact on your bottom line. So it's critical to fully cover your costs when you're pricing products. And this is the one thing that most people get wrong. You really need to know all of your costs. You've got to cover them and then you've got to make a profit. To do that, you need to understand how much you've got to mark up the product and how many items you need to sell in order to make a profit. So remember, the cost of a product is more than the literal cost of the item. You've also got to include overhead costs, and they could include things like rent, labour, marketing, variable costs like shipping and stocking. You've got to include costs of borrowing money, your salary, a return on the capital that you've invested, and capital for replacement of your assets as they age. This will give you the real cost of your product. You know, I've done a lot with grocery, and the wholesale price of a can of soup might be a dollar. That's what they buy it from the manufacturer for. But by the time all costs are added, including such things as warehousing and stacking costs and labour and all the rest of it, the cost might be a dollar twenty-five. So if you paid a dollar for it and sold it for a dollar twenty, thinking that you're making twenty percent markup, you would actually be losing a whole truckload of money. So the key is to listen to your customer on a regular basis, get feedback about your pricing, let them know you care about what they think. That's important so that they'll give you good information. Keep an eye on your competitors. You can't afford to hire a market research team. Then get some college students and send them out on a regular basis and monitor what your competitors are doing and have a budget action plan in place. Try to have a plan for your pricing that extends out three to six months in the future. Now, you owe it to yourself and to your business to be relentless in managing your product pricing. Remember, how you set the price of your products can be the difference between the success and the failure of your business. Now, if you're a regular listener to the show, and are benefiting from the advice that my guests and I give you each week, please tell your friends to listen. Go to my website at bob at bobpritchard.com and subscribe to my monthly newsletter. Send in your questions. Please email me at bob at bobpritchard.com and follow me on Twitter, Facebook and Google Plus and become a contact on LinkedIn. So until the same time next week, have a fantastic and successful week. Go out and kick some butt. Help an entrepreneur with contacts, funding or mentoring. This is Bob Pritchard. See you soon. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.